From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, you know, I know that profitability is important, but I'm a firm believer that if you create the right patient care process that leaves the patient, you know, being an advocate for you among their friends and family, um, that'll lead to better profitability in, in the healthcare organizations that are providing those services. That's Patrick Sauer, president and founder of Next Health Innovations, talking about creating better patient care processes in healthcare organizations. We'll hear more from Patrick in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you still asking your patients, how did you hear about us? Listen. There are better ways to track that. Your great reputation, fantastic website, and amazing advertising campaigns don't matter if they don't bring in new patients. If you're not collecting data on your marketing efforts, you're wasting your marketing spend. Visit get.socialclimb.com forward slash MGMA to learn how Social Climb's platform helps you get more patients with data-backed marketing that tracks patients from first touch to a scheduled visit and beyond. It's that time of year again. Registration for MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. We pull out all the stops each year to put on the premier medical practice conference. Last year in San Diego, Leaders Conference was a blast. It was nice to get back to in-person events, so I'm excited to attend again this year in Boston. The conference is this October 9th through 12th, so register soon and don't miss this opportunity to learn and advance your career. Head to mgma.com forward slash events to learn more. Our guest today is Patrick Sauer, president and founder of Next Health Innovations. Patrick is also an MGMA consultant with more than 20 years of healthcare leadership and executive experience with hospitals and healthcare systems. Patrick has earned his MHA, FACHE, and CMPE. And he's here today to talk about his healthcare journey and how to create better patient care processes in healthcare organizations. Well, Patrick, thanks so much for joining us on the MGMA Insights Podcast. Well, Daniel, I appreciate it. It's an opportunity and an honor to be here talking with you today. Great. Now, in researching you, I found that um, you truly have worn just about every hat imaginable in healthcare leadership and administration. One to tell our audience, you've earned your MHA, your FACHE, and your CMPE. You've also served in executive roles at hospitals and health systems. So with all of that said, if you don't mind, just pointing us in the direction of a few of things that you see as highlights uh, during your career in healthcare. You know, I actually have to uh, admit that 
Um, my hands-on work was probably the most rewarding uh, because you had a direct impact and you could see the results. Uh, there was a practice uh, we were actually was uh, um, taking it from a hospital to a clinic and then we were implementing a number of automated systems at the same time. Um, for example, uh, we found a, a phone switch and was able to implement that so we could use the auto call distribution system to better track our patient calls for appointments and actually use the, the statistics to um, staff it accordingly so we can hit the high demands and then and then shift resources to other areas as the demands decreased. Um, in addition to that, we had practice management systems, uh, which included the scheduling um, system and in the well, the registration and scheduling system. It was a managed care uh, module to it. It was a patient administration module to it and uh, order entry for the physicians. Um, but in the <clears throat> implementation of those systems, you know, the, it, the, the goal was to, you know, basically revamp and, and design it for patient convenience. And <clears throat> the staff that I was working with had, we had a number of naysayers who, who kind of went along with it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end, they were ecstatic because the patients were um, absolutely satisfied with it above and beyond. And of course, that led to a lot of staff satisfaction as well. But in the scheduling um, system, we had to work closely with the physicians hand in, and, and work on their appointment templates the lengths of their appointments and those based on each appointment type, and then experiment with, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And so it was a great opportunity to, to work directly with the physicians and develop those trusted relationships where we could adapt the templates to meet the needs that they saw to, in order to deliver uh, great care to the patients. So that, that's probably some of the highlights. And of course, um, um, another highlight was when we web enabled appointments for the patients so that they could have 24 seven access. And this wasn't just a web enabled appointment where you, you, where the patient sends in, you know, a proposed time. These appointments were directly connected to our appointment system and blocked uh, and actually scheduled those appointments. So what we found um, that the results, the, the patients were more honest with what their healthcare problem was because they didn't have to tell it to someone if, and feel embarrassed if it was somewhat embarrassing. But what we found too is that um, our no-show rates greatly decreased because with an automated system, patients were more likely to go online when they couldn't make it to cancel and reschedule another appointment. And so I had the opportunity to not only be the project manager for nine ambulatory care centers to revamp their um, and make their web-enabled appointments available, uh, there was also a dentist um, clinic that wanted to do the same. And so I was working with them as well in order to do that within the same system 
Um, it was very rewarding. Um, there was, again, it, it required the physician relationships and trusted relationships in order to make this successful because any change, there's always a pushback and resistance. But once the physicians uh, learned that, you know, it really wasn't a big change from the other uh, ways of doing appointments on, on phone, on the phone, um, they were very receptive to it. And not only that, they appreciated the patient honesty of really telling them what the problem was before uh, the patient showed up inside the clinic. Okay. Well, th thanks for sharing that with us. What year was that or what time frame did you do those web-enabled web appointments? Those web-enabled appointments were in the, um, between 2000, 2010. Okay. Okay, great, great. Just wanted to give some context there for our listeners. Now, you're currently president and founder of Next Health Innovations, LLC. We're going to talk in more detail about that organization and what you do there um, in just a moment. But one of the things I found really interesting in reading about your work at Next Health is something called Nightwear, uh, where you were an advisor on Apple Watch technology. I am currently wearing an Apple Watch right now as we speak, and I'm always fascinated by all the things that it's able to do. So um, I really wanted to know how that relationship began and really what the focus and scope of that project is. Oh, absolutely. That was, it's fun to see. Was working at um, an organization, a large organization that was focused on veteran health to leverage the unique capabilities of that organization to provide veterans with, with their better health and make an impact on their lives. And, you know, the, people will look at, or they may have some uh, connotations about government as being somewhat unwieldy, um, non-changing, but actually um, because of the, the lack of restrictions on, on licensing, they actually had the freedom to, to explore um, and exploit new technologies. Telehealth is one, they could didn't have to worry about crossing state lines and things like that. And so, but we were working with um, the Veterans Administration to help make the lives of veterans better. And in that whole process, the CEO of Nightwear reached out to me and he wanted me to see what he thought about this technology. And it really rang a bell because a few years earlier, there was a student at McAllister College here in the Twin Cities whose father suffered from post-traumatic stress system, or excuse me, he suffered from post-traumatic stress. And his um, experience was not very good. He couldn't sleep at night. And as a result of a lack of sleep, it really affects your life during the day. Mm -hmm. Essentially lost his job, lost his, his marriage. And, you know, he was just hoping to hang on. And, and so his son, who was working at, who was actually a student at McAllister, took the initiative to create this program where it would sense on an Apple Watch, it would sense when the veteran would would getting close to where they would have night tears that would wake them up and disrupt their sleep. And it would provide this stimulation, like a buzz, 
so that it wouldn't wake the the veteran up, but it would break that um, sequence of events that leads up to a night terror. And as a result, his father was able to get a great night's sleep and actually get his life back because he was rested enough in order to take care of other his other health issues, like post-traumatic stress, and actually move on. It became, um, well, according to the patient, it was he, he felt like a new person after that. And as a result, the CEO contacted me and thought, this might be something we'd be interested in, including as we try to improve the veteran's health. And, and but it wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization with whom I, with which I was working, you know, they required, you know, FDA approval. And so when you're bootstrapping a new innovation, it becomes challenging to go through the FDA process. Um, of course, with devices, it's not as extensive as needed as, as pharmaceuticals. However, it is time consuming and, and it can be cost prohibitive. But I knew about um, this special arrangement that the VA has, it's called a CRADA. And CRADA stands for a Cooperative Research and Development Agreement. It prohibits the VA from giving direct payment to an organization, but what it does is it allows the cooperation between the two organizations where the VA can use uh, their resources to help um, go through the whole testing and, and that whole FDA process and really minimize the cost. I mean, the time frame was the same, but it really minimized the cost for that new product to come to market. And it's currently um, FDA approved. It's on the, the Apple Watch. It's a technology that, you know, it, I think it's a subscription basis now mm-hmm. uh, where it can be downloaded, but it, it's been really a, uh, a lifesaver for veterans who suffer from night, night terrors and have other issues like PTSD just so they can get in a great night's sleep and then work on those other issues. But that is an incredible story and congratulations on getting that, uh, you know, the work you did on that project as well. So I wanted to turn to some other work you do actually with MGMA. You're one of MGMA's consultants. Um, I believe that factors in with Next Health Innovations. Perhaps that's the vehicle with which you also work as a consultant. You can clarify that if I'm wrong in that part, but talk well, about you're right being, on. Yeah. So I, I did my homework. So um, <laughs> talk about being an MGMA consultant, what that means, really how that relationship began and uh, the kind of things that you're doing there as an MGMA consultant. You know, I reached out to MGMA and um, I was able to share my background I have a breadth of experience, and like you mentioned in your first question and all your research that I've worn, I have worn many hats. I have a breadth of experience that gives me insights on solutions. And so I, I found that to be something that I could offer uh, as a consultant to MGMA members or others out there who are interested in that. But because of my um, breadth of experience in ambulatory care, I believe I have the insight in order to provide, um, you know, any 
provide insights and solutions on any areas within a healthcare organizations. Mostly acute care, I haven't had experience in long-term care, but it's acute care hospitals, it's ambulatory care, surgery, ambulatory care, primary and secondary or primary uh, care and um, specialty care. And it allows me to, to look at how it's integrated and then provide the solutions that uh, they're looking for um, to help you know, increase qual quality of care, to you know, increase access to care for patients who need it, but also to be fiscally responsible in their expenses and then profitable, of course, in their revenue streams. So it's been really rewarding in working with MGMA to focus on you know, the, the integration of systems and the performance improvement or process improvement to help improve their bottom lines. Okay. Well, let's take a, a deeper dive into those relationships then. I, I know of our uh, MGMA consulting group, and I've talked to several of the consultants before, but one question I've never asked is, how do those relationships begin? Um, tell us about that and then how, you know, how they're kind of based from that. When, once that relationship is started, what your role is in meeting with the practice leaders and helping them, you know, solve some of the pain points that they're suffering from. Sure. You know, some, some organizations will approach a consulting firm like, like MGMA and they have an idea what the issues are. Um, usually it's in the area of, of finance and profitability. Um, it may be in the area of culture uh, and culture change. And so it's, it's important that you consider both of those in regards to any type solution. Now, in working with um, um, organizations that do approach MGMA for consulting services, you know, they'll state briefly what their need is out there. And then looking at what their need is, I can, you know, respond to that with what type of deliverables uh, we can provide for them. But again, you know, that's, that's at a higher level without actually getting, you know, feet on the ground. Um, it's, it's, um, it might validate some of the issues that, that the, uh, administrators, um, have had, however, it can also lead to, you know, identifying, you know, deeper issues that require a different approach or a different solution. So it, really it's, it's been, um, an experience to work with MGMA and work with the, with the uh, clients that uh, need that expertise. And not only that, the, the tools that MGMA brings is absolutely top-notch and phenomenal. And I've used them many times in my experiences in the past. Okay. Well, let's take an even deeper dive here. Then let's look at either a case study, an example where you've worked with a practice and just, just walk us through that at least briefly um, I know you could probably spend a day telling us all about a case study with uh, with a practice, but you know, in just a summary type form, just walk us through a little bit about what that looked like and what that success story, even more importantly, that success story looked like. 
Well, I was working in a healthcare system and um, it was a somewhat isolated system. The, the way that it was financed was um, questionable. Not questionable as in bad, as in illegal, but how, you know, some organizations were awarded more of the budget and some organizations um, were not. And so what we wanted to do is go through and, and conduct a, a benchmarking process that would optimize the revenue for that organization. And in coming to the organization, I, again, it was with one of the MGMA tools. It was, a, well, at the time, it was a CD-ROM with 31 specialties where it had all the different uh, um, E&M codes for different specialties in there. And that was a phenomenal um, benchmark because I asked my talented IT staff that I was, with whom I was working, um, can you get to um, these benchmarks and implement them into a, a homegrown um, dashboard per se for the productivity of how our physicians are doing? And it was absolutely phenomenal. It was a homegrown system that integrated the data from that tool, but it also um, was able to integrate the information from five like systems, five like organizations in the system and benchmark against them. And it, it was not only, uh, it, was, it provided the ability to drill down not only from the clinic level, but down to each provider level. And, you know, with physicians, you have one opportunity and only one opportunity to show that this new tool would work. Because if it doesn't work, they'll just discard it and move on to something else. And so worked with the clinic administrators closely on how we could sharpshoot this and basically try to break it or try to find all the weaknesses so that we could fix them prior to presenting to the, to the physician staff. And after a few months, we were ready to do that. And as we opened up um, access to the physicians, the reaction was absolutely phenomenal. There's nobody more competitive than physicians, and they took it upon themselves on how to optimize their EM codes and RVUs and, and basically uh, meet the benchmarks of and take credit for the work that they were actually doing, but hadn't taken cre credit before. So, in that whole process, there was an education process for the for the physicians on how to optimize their coding and their uh, documentation that supports the coding. But you know, the physicians are just one part of the team. And it was important to um, educate the rest of the organization on how this how this process change was going to improve the amount of revenue that would come in. And it actually uh, it actually required us to revamp and re-engineer a number of the patient flow processes that were actually much more patient friendly. And the staff responded to this to this change. I'd, I'd never seen it. I don't know if there was any resistance, but you know, it was it was a whole organization effort to 
um, focus on the patient, the patient care. And of course, the revenue does follow when you provide a great service um, in a timely manner. And in the end, we ended up adding $7 million, uh, $7.2 million to the budget as a result of that. But it was all, you know, just leveraging tools of MGMA, um, revamping uh, process improvement efforts and, and asking people to open their minds and, and help in the process. And I find that in a culture where people are in, are, when you have a good culture in an organization and you are transparent about changes that are occurring, um, you'll find that um, your colleagues will be all the employees that are part of that organization. And as long as they're as long as they know what the vision is and the direction the organization is going, they're on board. And it, it was an absolute um, amazing process to go through and see the changes of that organization. Hmm. That, that is, thank you. That's great information. So let's talk about one or two more things here uh, during this podcast. So when you're working with a practice, I'm sure it depends on where you've drilled down to, where you found the pain points, but what are some of the common KPIs that you're interested in when you're meeting with a practice? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, I like to take a, I like to, even though that um, maybe the direction as a consultant is at the 10,000 foot level or the 5,000 foot level, I still like to look at some of the some of the 50,000 foot level areas. Um, but, you know, when you look at, OK, what are the real issues? Accounts receivable and the days in AR is very important to look at uh, because that'll identify bas basically where uh, the viability of an organization can be threatened if they're not um, if, if those if those accounts receivable are not in line. But also the culture of the organization. Um, when I step back to a higher level, I like to look at the culture and see if it's if it's a trusted culture or if it's um, you know, unfortunately some of the toxic cultures are people pointing fingers at each other all the time, and that that needs to change. Um, and some of my experience in that is is in culture change. Um, because I was a culture ambassador at one organization. But the one principle that really stuck out to me was assume positive intent. And step back and understand that people look at problems differently and they all have you know, different ways of approaching solutions. And it really allowed uh, the organization to step back and really listen to each other um, not have a not have a solution in mind and 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 only want to voice that solution uh, very louder or multiple times, but to actually listen to the to the employees where you know where actually the rubber meets the road, where the especially the ones that meet with patients day in and day out, they know what the real issues are and. Um, engaging with them is very important. And that's why culture is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, you can actually then work on accounts receivable and, and look at where, you know, process, do a process map and, and understand where the issues are and see where there are some solutions. 
but engage also the, the financial staff that's running those um, claims processes, engage with them to find out what the issues are. Um, in addition to AR, I like to look at uh, FTEs in the support staff of the clinicians, because believe it or not, you know, the first thing you want to cut are some support staff when there's a financial issue. Well, I push back on that and resist because sometimes if you have more FTEs, um, you can see more patients, which increases the revenue for that practice. And so those are a few of the KPIs uh, that I use. Um, but again, when I look at the higher level, um, I look at leadership, structure, uh, staff competency, um, process of the patient going through our healthcare system, and then how we're leveraging IT. Now, at the leadership level, um, it's not just the leadership styles, uh, because as you know, um, culture starts at the leadership level. And it's what kind of shadow are they casting to the rest of their staff? But leadership also includes the, you know, the standard operating procedures or the policies of that organization. And maybe that's where some of the issues are. So maybe it's an easy fix, just changing some of the policies on how they did it because, you know, time has passed and the way they've done things in the past doesn't necessarily apply today. So that's the leadership aspect that I look at. I also like to look at the structure, not only the physical structure of the, of the, of the building itself, which we all know can impact um, how patient flow goes through the practice, but also the structure of the organization. Is it stovepiped where it's focused on the needs of the organization or is the structure actually um, built around the patients and how they flow through the system. And it's important to know that, you know, uh, what we want to do is create an organizational structure that aligns well with the delivery of patient care and not necessarily on the, uh, making it easier for the, for the staff to accomplish whatever their um, individual goals are. And that's important in stove, especially in stovepipe organizations. In the competency level, you know, that goes back to the FTEs, um, but also um, are you staffed with registered nurses, LPNs, medical assistants? What is the competency level needed? Now, especially practice, uh, it may make sense to have a registered nurse there, but in the uh, primary care practices, having the right competency levels of a, of a LPN or a medical assistant can really help lower the cost and the expenses of the organization. But, you know, I always like to ask, what is the competency of the support staff for that provider? And what can that support staff take off the plate of that provider so that uh, the provider can focus on the more important aspects of, of patient care? And actually, that may actually increase access to care um, and, and add that additional one or two appointments per day, which over a year adds up. Now, that takes care of the competency level and the process improvement level. Um, you know, we all, I think, have 
learned about uh, Lean Six Sigma, um, but I like to look at Lean because Six Sigma is really designed for um, <laughs> in, for equipment. And there's too much variability with patients and patient needs. So looking at the lean process and using that as a framework um, to look at what is the current process. Um, because, you know, what I find is that uh, some of the staff, everyone is engaged in doing the right thing. And so, but they don't understand the full process on how the patient flows through the organization. And so what I have found uh, personally is actually doing these process maps and inviting all the stakeholders in that process into the room to look at how the process goes. Now, instead of pointing fingers at each other, they're able to point their fingers at the wall where the process is documented and say, I didn't know that you were doing that there because I'm also doing this here. And how do you reduce waste is reducing redundancy and what the need is. And it's amazing to see how when you invite the stakeholders in to look at a process map, how they come up with their own solutions and how they can better serve the patient. And that's very rewarding. And of course, um, my other structure is IT, um, is the, is the, um, is the IT, are the IT systems being optimized to their full extent or are they not? Um, you know, normally when implementation of new systems occurs, um, it's expensive and where costs are usually cut short is in the training area. And so maybe this IT system has much more capability that's not being used and could actually help the staff work smarter and not harder. And if, if there's some additional uh, training that can be provided to optimize the capabilities of the IT system, then I think it's important that um, people look at, or the leadership look at that and make a commitment that, you know, in the long run, it's going to be a lot less expensive. IT systems are uh, there to help us and help us make, um, you know, better decisions. And so if we optimize them, uh, we'll definitely reach that goal. So really that's the framework in, with I, in which I work and like to look at issues in an organization. That, that is so helpful, Patrick. Thank you so much. As a final thought, what do you want to leave us with? You've talked a lot about resources, tools, anything else. So I know you've covered a lot of ground today. What's, what are some final thoughts uh, you'd like to share with us then? Well, you know, I know that profitability is important, but I'm a firm believer that if you create the right patient care process that leaves the patient you know, being an advocate for you among their friends and family, um, that'll lead to better profitability in, in the healthcare organizations that are providing those services. I also would like to, you know, emphasize, you know, the importance of culture and how that affects um, the rest of the organization. I always like that, uh, you know, what, what cast is the, what shadow does the leadership cast on the rest of the organization? And are they exemplifying or are they not? 
uh, what the what the policies are and um, th- are they somebody to look up to and respect? And that's very important. Um, but again, I think too, listening to the people where the rubber meets the road is so important because they have unique insights to patients on what they say that never filtered, never gets filtered up to the, or never gets up to the, to the leadership level. Um, I had an opportunity where some of one of the tools was, uh, was to leverage crowdsourcing to get ideas on how we could improve it. But not only that, it was not gathering these ideas and then um, aggregating the like ones together, but then representing it to the staff to say, okay, which ones are higher priority? And it's amazing how they feel part of the solution. They're engaged with the organization. And we know, you know, engagement is so important. That's why I think corporate America is having this big resignation epidemic. Um, but it lets, it lets the staff know they're valued and they're being listened to. And not only that, um, with the identification of the three top issues that has been driven from the grassroots level, um, leadership has an opportunity to really garner their trust and, and um, use their staff as part of the solution to those, to those issues that are so important in patient care. All right. Well, yeah. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you so much for the work you do with MGMA and also the work you do uh, with the practices out there. And thanks for sharing these insights of what kind of work you're doing with practices and helping them solve their solutions. So thank you so much. You know, Daniel, I appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and, and talk with others about my experience, and I just look forward to being a contributing member of the Medical Group Management Association Consulting Group, and uh, look forward to working with you as well. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Patrick Sauer, President and Founder of Next Health Innovations and an MGMA consultant. We also want to thank Social Climb and MGMA Events for sponsoring this week's show. If you're not collecting data on your marketing efforts, you're wasting your marketing spend. Visit get.socialclimb.com forward slash MGMA to learn how Social Climb's platform helps you get more patience with data-backed marketing that tracks patients from first touch to a scheduled visit and beyond. And be sure and register for MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Last year in San Diego, Leaders was a blast. It was nice to get back to in-person events, and I'm excited to attend again this year in Boston. The conference is this October 9th through the 12th, so register soon. And don't miss this opportunity to learn and advance your career. Go to mgma.com forward slash events to learn more. And if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com 
slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.